Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. The Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes in chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 4. We've been walking through <laughs> this, this uh, wonderful book, understanding that this is a book that is written from man's perspective. That's why it's in the poetical book section. It's written by Solomon, and yet the wisest man who's ever lived has been away from God for the last 15, 20 years. And we appreciate this book because here is a man who is honest about his look. Uh, most of us, when we look at our lives and we're going to declare to someone else, love to fudge the details a little bit. We love to have a blind eye we all do that. You say, no, uh oh yeah, how you doing? I'm fine. We, we, we have very rarely are willing to get honest about how we're feeling, honest about how we're doing, honest where we're at spiritually. So the unique thing about Ecclesiastes is here's a man who's willing to be honest about his view, honest about his observation, honest about what is going on in life. So turn with me, if you don't mind, in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse to start off with and then build upon it, examining more verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And let's, never mind, we'll start in chapter 4 and verse 1, and I'll just read through to the verse. Chapter 4, verse 1. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as are oppressed. And they had no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore I praise the dead which were already dead more than the living which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they which hath not <coughs> have yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I considered all the travail and every right work, for this man, this is a man is envied of his neighbors. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. Better is a handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone, and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also this also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe unto him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. 
Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, notice a phrase that we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 13. Notice there's a comparison. It starts with the word better. Notice what they're comparing. A wise child and a foolish king. A wise child and a foolish king. Here it does a comparison between these two. A wise child and a foolish king. In fact, notice the description of the king who will no more be admonished. In your mind, you could put in this idea, he's no longer teachable. So here is a wise child versus a foolish king who will no longer be teachable. Do you know being teachable is a very big deal? As long as you are teachable, you have hope. But when you get to the place where you're no longer teachable, I know everything. I know more than you. You can't tell me what to do. Or maybe you don't say that out loud, but you're saying in your mind, why are you talking to me? I've got this handled. You got to a place of foolishness. A wise child or a foolish king. Now again, Solomon, who the writer of this passage, he's having trouble in life. He's already said in chapter number two, therefore I hated life. And chapter number four and verse number three, he said it'd be best never to have been born. In verse 18, he says, neither saith he for whom do I labor? He says, I don't even know why I'm working anymore. You know what we're finding here? A man who is miserable. A man who is miserable. Do you know that life does not have to be bad? God did not design life to be miserable. Well, if God didn't design life to be miserable, why are there so many miserable people? We all know miserable people. Perhaps you at one time in your life, or maybe currently, are a miserable person. You're miserable about life. Miserable about what life has for you. Miserable people. Now, we understand that there are certain unchangeables in our life. And that there are certain things that you cannot, you didn't have any control of. Nobody asked you. For example, you did not have any choice of who your parents were going to be. I meant nobody reached out to you beforehand and said, hey, who do you want your parents to be? All of us would say some of the richest person in the world. How about that? No, nobody had that choice. You didn't have a choice of when you were going to be born. There are some people said, you know what? I'm better off in the 1800s where things were simpler. There are others that said, I'd be better off with more technology and more things. I, I like that type of thing. But you didn't have a choice. Nobody asked you when you're going to be born. Amen. There are certain unchangeables in your life. There are certain unchangeable physical features that you have, that God gave to you that could not be changed. God didn't 
give you the choice of where you are going to be born. I mean, not everyone can be born in Texas. People have to be born somewhere else. We know that there are unchangeables in our life. And with those unchangeables, because we can't do anything about them, there does have to be an acceptation about that. This is something that's in my life. I didn't have any choice over it. There's nothing. I know, I know that the world rebels against it. I just found something yesterday of a girl who sued her parents for being born. She sued her parents for being born. She goes, my parents didn't ask me whether it was my, that to me give consent, whether I could be born. They didn't give me the information that if I was going to be born, I was going to have to grow up and I was going to have to live a job or work a job. They didn't ask me consent whether I had to, um, whether it was going to be all right for me to be born and didn't give me the information about this. And she sued her parents. Now, it was found out, you know, the parents said, why are you doing this? It's just because you don't want to work. And she went, yeah, yeah. But she won. No. What? <laughs> Could we say, with, without just looking at there, that she's a little bit miserable in her life? Could we draw that conclusion? And because of that, she is looking for something to change, something to go up there. Did God make us to live miserable? Not at all. Now, with this, we do have to understand that life doesn't have to be miserable, but we have to understand (laughs) some uh, truths. First of all, that we know that the world is split up into two different groups, saved and not saved. Turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're coming back to Ecclesiastes, but look with me, if you don't mind, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians and chapter number 2. And uh, let's get a good running start. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and notice with me in verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love them. That's a blessing. God has more for you than what you could even imagine. But the Spirit, but God hath revealed them, what things? The things that God has prepared for us unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. May I pause here? The best way to learn about man is not by studying man. It's learned by studying God who created man. That there are people who do all kinds of studies and they could study peripheral things. For example, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 where we read, Solomon gave wise counsel observation about two people. That if two people work together, they could get more things done. That's not a spiritual observation. That's a worldly observation. That's something that anyone can, that's by common sense. And we can learn quite a bit just by common sense, even though sense isn't common anymore, but there are certain things that we could observe and that we could draw a conclusion on just studying natural things. But there's more than that 
in our lives. And we learn about him by studying God who created man, who could tell us more about man that psychologists and studies and graphs cannot show to us. And when we're missing that component, we're also missing this understanding of how we could be happy. When we're just studying the world, as Solomon had observed already in chapters three and four, when you just look at the world without context of God, it's miserable. It's totally miserable. We have to have God into the equation. Notice with me as in First Corinthians chapter two, verse number 11. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we also speak, not in the words of man's wisdom teacheth, but that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual with spiritual. Notice this next verse. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto them, neither can he know them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, he yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Notice in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we now divide the world into two parts. The natural man and the spiritual man. The spiritual man is the man who has accepted Christ as his savior and is following after him. Spiritual man, someone who's saved. The natural man is someone who is not saved. Okay? So notice, again, what it says in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? For they, those things of the Spirit of God, are foolishness unto him. Who? The natural man. There are many people who are not Christians who look at Sunday school right now and say, what in the world? This is garbage. This is foolishness. It doesn't make sense to me. Why? They can't understand it without the Spirit of God. So when you are missing information about life, then all you could do is draw off the natural conclusions of life, which leave God out of the equation. And when you leave God out of the equation, life is miserable. Does it make sense? People are miserable because they're missing God out of the equation. Now we could divide the world up into two parts of those that are saved and those who are not saved. But do you know that we could take the world that, of those who are saved and also divide those into two parts? Notice with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, why? But as unto carnal, fleshly, even as unto babes of Christ. The idea of babes of Christ is someone who is spiritually immature. Babies. If I had a little baby in front of me and I start teaching him calculus, is he going to understand me? No. It's beyond his comprehension. He's a baby. All right. If I start to read Shakespeare to that little baby, he hasn't even said his first word. Are they really, is he going to comprehend and really enjoy those sonnets and the tragedies of the comedies of Shakespeare? No, because they're not mature enough to handle it. Here it is talking about that carnal Christians are Christians who depend upon the flesh or the world rather than God. They're saved They've accepted Christ as their savior, forgiveness of sins, but they haven't grown and they're missing a component in their life. 
They're missing God in their life. They're only looking at the world through natural eyes. And they're just as bad off as those who are not saved at all. In fact, notice it goes on. Verse number two, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hereto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able. He says, I couldn't, when you first got saved, I couldn't give you good spiritual meat. And guess what? I still can't. Why? You haven't grown up. You still look at the world through carnal means. And you're missing God out of the equation. And guess what? You can only draw conclusions that the natural man can do. And because God's not in the equation, you're miserable. Notice with me verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Again, let's define our word. The word carnal is a word where we get our word carnivore. It carries the idea of flesh. Ye are carnal, flesh, depending upon the natural man. For whereas there is among you envying. Do you know this idea? How do I know that I'm in the flesh? Envy. What is envy? Envy is when something good happens to someone else and you can't stand it. Why did something happen to them? Why did they get it? How come I don't get this? How come they're happy and I'm not? How come they get the thing and I don't? Envy. That's evidence of carnality. What else? Envy and strife. The idea of strife is the idea that you want to fight. Not necessarily fist fight, but you like to argue. You like to Get in there. You like to show everyone how smart you are. You want to tell them where they're wrong. Strife. Remember, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that pride is the only source of contention. The only reason why people fight is because of pride. What is pride? Feeling like I'm right. I know better than you. That's flesh. Envying, strife. How else do I know that I'm in the flesh? And divisions. We like to divide ourselves. Now we know there were divisions in the church of Corinth, but I'm better than you. My group's better than you. They like the divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? What men? The natural man. So here it's giving that the world could be divided into saved and not saved. And those who are saved can be further divided to those who are carnal and those who are spiritual. Those who are spiritual are those that put God in the equation and they're seeking after God and looking for God and God fulfills them. Those who are natural man, not saved, God's not entered in their equation because they don't calculate that. They're just seeing the things of the world. Then there are those who are legitimately saved. They're going to heaven. They're forgiven of sins. However, they do not put God in their equations even now. And because God's not in their equation, they come to the conclusion as Solomon did, honestly, life is miserable. I just survive from day to day. There's nothing better than this. I've searched for something. I've tried to fulfill my life with entertainment, with money, with pleasure, with food, with this, with this, and I'm not happy. And because I'm not happy, I've got to put something else into it. Because I'm not happy, maybe this. And maybe I need to make this change. And because I'm not happy, this needs to be fixed. Because I'm not. And they're always looking, what is it? What can I change in my life to make me happy? And then they start working on the unchangeables, right? I don't like my parents, so I'm going to shoo my parents and get new parents. I don't like when I live, so I'm going to imagine that I live in a different other place. I don't like when I lived, you know, and they start trying to work on the unchangeables. I don't like how God made me, so I'm going to change how God made me. 
And they're, because they're trying to look at things without God in the equation, they're looking at the natural man and they're going to continue to be more and more miserable because those things won't fix it either. These unchangeables. So Solomon realized that if he had a choice, he would be better off to be a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king. He was unhappy and he wished that life was different than what it was. He was a king and yet he is miserable. If you don't mind, turn back to me in the book of Ecclesiastes and let's kind of examine his life now. Remember, there was a time that he had followed God. But he took God out of the equation about 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now that God is out of his equation, he can only look at things through a natural eyes. Now, he was the wisest man. He didn't lose that wisdom. He just stopped looking at God. He was intelligent. He was smart. He had everything you wanted. He was rich. He, anything that you can imagine, he had. And he's miserable. What are things that we could draw from? Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. One thing is that his palace became his prison. His palace became a prison. Notice with me verse 14. For out of prison he cometh to reign. Who is this he? This foolish king who would no longer be anonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign. Whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. He said, I'm in a palace. But the palace is a prison. Solomon had desired to be king and now he's king. He found that his palace is now the prison. We've all heard people say this. Maybe you even watch it on a show. Someone who's succeeded in their life. We watch this with uh, pop stars and movie stars and, and music stars all the time. I wanted all this fame and fortune and now I would give it all up just to be back into a small venue. I just, they got what they wanted and now they're imprisoned in their fame. We hear the stories all the time. A lot of us have a hard time feeling sorry for those poor rich people, but they're, they're prisoners. We've heard people in politics, I wanted to be president. And then in their presidential reign, when they have all the responsibilities and the weights and the people second guessing them, they're like, I wish for simpler times. Maybe there's a time where you said that. I wish I was in simpler times. I mean, how many of us have honestly gone to someone still in high school. This is the greatest days of your life. This is the simplest time. You don't have to pay bills. And they look at you like you're stupid. Right? We've all been prison. I want to grow up. I want to be an adult. I don't want people telling me what to do anymore. I'm grown up now. I wish I had simpler times. You see, we're in this too. We get to the place where the life that we want, it becomes our prison. And that's part of that miserable that comes with it. Now, uh, Solomon was honest. Most of us are not that honest or maybe even not that discerning. We just know that we're miserable where we're at. Is this what God gave to us? Is a life where we're miserable? God desired to give us much more than this. Sometimes we feel we're such a fix that we can't get out. We feel like our responsibilities are in control of us. The only reason why I go to work is because of the paycheck. I can't tell you how many people have told me that exact phrase in the last month. The only reason why I go to work is because I need that paycheck. If it wasn't for that paycheck, I wouldn't go. 
they feel like they're stuck. Man, the only reason why I'm here at Wisconsin in the winter is because I can't get out. There's some people that can, but... (laughs) People get to the place where they feel stuck. And they're not enjoying the life that God has given. Parents, sometimes they won't be honest out loud, but they think in their mind, if I didn't have these kids, I'd be free. And they're not enjoying what they have. They see it as a prison. His palace had become a prison. What we're trying to do is we appreciate Solomon being honest when there's a lot of times none of us would dare to be that honest. But inside, we're miserable. We don't know what to do about it. We try to fix it this way and we try to fix it that way. And again, God is showing us the problem is he's not in the equation. Because he's not in the equation, we can only draw the conclusions of what we see out there. And we don't enjoy the life that God gave us. But that's not what God had for us. Notice the second thing. His possessions possessed him. His possessions possessed him. What happened is that his possessions became the goal of his life. That's called Americanism. Possessions possess us. Amazon doesn't help. Scrolling through, scrolling through. Something that you never saw before, you now see and you just have to have it. I I can't live without it. And then you get it and you play with it and it breaks or... And next thing you know, a couple years later, you have an attic sale and you sell that thing you just had to have for just a couple cents. Possessions possess us. If I could get one more thing, this will make my life better. If I get this one more thing, it would make it easier. If I had this, it would organize my life. If I had this, it'd bring me more pleasure. Our possessions possess us. Notice what Solomon said, starting in verse 13 again. Better is a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I consider all the living which walk under the sun. Remember that phrase under the sun carries the idea without regard to God. It's a poetical way of saying it without him actually admitting I'm living away from God. With the second child shall stand up in his stead. There was no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also come after him, shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Think about all the things that you live for, their possessions and whatnot. And then when you're gone, someone else is going to get all your stuff. And they're not going to remember you. That garage sale... You don't ask for a history of this plate. You just go grab the plate. That that person who originally bought it, there was a reason why they bought it. We don't care. I just want the plate. That's what happens to all of our stuff. All of our possessions, all the things that we have. Gone. One more thing that he's seen as he's miserable is his popularity was without praise to God. His popularity was without praise to God. Notice with me in verse 16. For there's no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. 
Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. You know, if people recognize your name and know who you are, what does that really matter? What does that do for you? Solomon had great visibility, or maybe we say popularity. Everyone knew who Solomon was. 3,000 years later, we still know who Solomon was. We talk about him. What good does that do to Solomon? Nothing. He was miserable because, again, God was taken out of his equation. If God was in his equation, what he would understand is that his popularity could be a tool to point people to the Lord. Why does God give us influence and visibility? For the purpose that we could direct traffic to God. God's the one. He's the one pointing up to him. Solomon said it'd be better to be a poor child. Why a poor child? Because you could teach children things. You know, the wonderful thing about children is that they will believe about anything. Which is good. We want to teach them good things. We want to teach them correct things while they're still fresh. We know that there's a golden age of learning where you could input things into their life that will stay with them for the rest of their life. That's why we want to grab children when they're young. Because something starts to happen, they hit teenagers. When they're teenagers, they know everything. My parents are stupid. I know everything. They can't tell me nothing. I know everything about life. They know all the answers. I was that type of teenager. I'm willing to say that most of you were that teenager. When you were a teenager, your parents were stupid and you knew everything and they couldn't tell you what to do. I'm not the only sinner in here. (laughs) Then we hit 20s and we get even worse. And then, you know, what happens is that that's going to solidify if that doesn't change. And then when you become an older person, I'm too old to change my ways. Nope, nope, nope. I know everything already. You're not going to teach me nothing. And we get to the place where we're not teachable. And when we're no longer teachable, God can't mold us. He can't make us. He can't direct us. We're stuck. And now we're going to be more miserable because God wants to do something in our life. God wants to work. It doesn't matter how old you are. God still wants to use you. God still has a plan for you. Here is a king now who is no longer teachable. Now, can you imagine? Solomon's the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon is smarter than almost anybody else. He knew the sciences. He was more accomplished than anyone else. Can you imagine someone saying, Solomon, I want to teach you something? Yeah, what are you going to teach Solomon? Solomon was at the place where he, in his pride, could say, no one can teach me anything. And he knew it. He knew he was at a bad place. Again, he's honest with himself. I'm no longer teachable. And he's admitting that I think this may be a problem. I'm no longer teachable. What does the gospel record say about this? See what Jesus says. Turn with me to the gospel record of Matthew chapter 7. You see, the whole thing is that God is taken out of the equation. But when God is placed back into the equation, we know that life can be worth living. People are miserable all around us. Maybe different degrees of miserable. Some are more outwardly miserable. Some are internally miserable. But misery just travels. We live in a miserable world. And we know that hurting people hurt people. 
And because they're miserable and hurting, they feel like they got to lash out. It doesn't make the world a better place. It just makes people more miserable. Because God is taken out of the equation. But this is not what God had intended for us. Jesus said he came to give us life, but not just life, more abundant life. He wanted to give us full life. <clears throat> he says in the book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, These things have I written unto you that your joy may be full. Remember a couple years ago, we had a whole theme of rejoicing. And we went through the Bible and showed all these things where God says he wants us to enjoy the life that we have. He wants our life to be a life of rejoicing. He wants to have joy in us. That's the life that God wants us to have. Then what happened? God's taken out of the equation. Notice with me the gospel record of Matthew chapter 7. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 7. And notice with me verse 24. Gospel record of Matthew 27, uh, verse 7. Verse 24. Therefore... Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. Now notice this. Here is the setup. He says, someone who takes my sayings. Now this is written in red. Who is speaking? Jesus. Whoever takes my sayings and does what with them? Do with them. Not just I read the Bible and then do nothing with it. I obey them. I put God back in the equation. I find out what God says and I do them. God says, someone who's like this, this is how I'm going to illustrate them. I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. Here we're carrying the idea of a foundation. That for those of you who have ever built something, you know that you have to put a foundation before you put the building onto it. Otherwise it doesn't stand. So you have to have a nice foundation. So the house will be able to withstand anything that comes through. And as the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. Right? We even teach this as kids. Right? The wise man built his house upon the rocks. The wise man built his house upon. You know, we teach him this. Why? This is a principle here. That God says, if you read the Bible and obey it, you are going to build a foundation that when the storms happen, it's not going to collapse. Verse number 26, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Now, here we go. People who hear God's word, now we're speaking more about carnal Christians, are we not? Because those of the natural man probably hasn't heard God's sayings. But those who have heard God's sayings and not obeyed. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. Now notice, didn't Solomon say something about a wise child and a foolish king? Jesus is using the same words, wise and foolish. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not and liketh himself to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Think about this. Someone who's teachable doesn't mean that they listen and then turn it off. They listen for the purpose of obeying. That's teachable. They learn what God says. They apply it to their life. And they have a foundation that's built. And the storms come, things don't collapse. 
may we also liken to this as we're comparing it. They're not miserable. The most joyous people. Now let's define joy. Joy is not happiness. Joy is not saying I've got a stupid smile on my face even in the worst times. Joy is a peace that passeth all understanding. Could we say that the opposite of joy would be misery? Could we honestly say that? I'm miserable in my life. I don't have peace. Someone who takes, puts God back into the equation, find out what God says about life, universe, and everything, and they put it in their life, and they obey it, they're going to have a peace. No matter what storms hit. No matter what blows. They're not miserable. There's a peace. But someone who hears God's word and says, I am not putting that in the equation. It's not for me. I don't want to have it. They're building their house upon a sand. And so when the storms come, because there's no firm foundation, the sands will shift. The tides and the wind and the waves will blow the sand. Now the house starts creaking in one side to the other. It's ready to collapse. Great is the fall of it. Now that everything's broken inside, everything's crushed inside, stupid storm, stupid life, miserable, miserable. What is Solomon getting across here? Well, the question is, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Remember, all of this year, we've been putting a great emphasis on wisdom. Wisdom comes from God, putting God back into the equation. And God has already told us about everything about life, universe, and everything. We could study it, find out what God says, apply it, and our joy can be full. We can have the abundant life. Or we could take God out of the equation and just come to the conclusions that life has on its own, just drawing conclusions about what we see with God outside of the equation. And what happens is that we're building our house on the sand. And we're going to be miserable because nothing's going to be stable. Nothing is going to be set. And we become more and more miserable in our ways. Until we come to the conclusion like Solomon did. Therefore, I hated life. He said, therefore, the dead were better than the living. That's a horrible place. And yet, so many people are there. So... Wise man, foolish man. Teachable, not teachable. Joyful or miserable. It is up to you, not circumstances. It's up to you, not life. Putting God back into the equation and just listening to what he says. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.